So we have to have a common working knowledge and communal agreement that this is something that exists. If we are not on the same page, we are not working towards the same goal. This is the Brother Be Well podcast. We're focused on mental health needs for boys and men of color, including trauma and healing. This podcast series is sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Get ready for real talk. And to our parents and caregivers, listen up, y'all. Let's talk about racism and continue this a little bit. I I found the question that is being proposed to add, and I want to kind of, uh, I want you guys to vet this verbiage, especially uh, maybe you, Dr. Gentile. The question is, to the best of your knowledge, and I love that, and this, this question is designed for parents and caregivers. To the best of your knowledge, has your child ever been treated or judged unfairly because of his or her race or ethnic group? Uh, now, when I read that question, my, my gut answer for me would have been no. And then I p- started to pick it apart. So I've got a different answer now. But So that's what led me to add this to this conversation. Dr. Dr. Gentile, if you would lead us here, does that question from your clinical perspective and, and with your background, does that question cut the mustard, so to speak, or would you tweak the words on that at all? And if so, what might you change and why? So I, I, I think for me is... I like the word discriminated rather than treated or judged unfairly, because Mm. there's a whole lot of other things that can go under discriminated. And that really hits home of what is actually happening. Like, yes, you're being treated or judged unfairly, but I think a lot of us have been treated or judged unfairly. But to say that we've been discriminated against, held back from something, excluded from something at a system level, told that we are not supposed to be at a particular place. I think that that really, the the way that the question is listed now, it doesn't get at the pervasiveness of what actually is going on. And so I I would prefer the word discriminated or judged unfairly. Um, and I do think that if we're going strictly with race, that race and or, or ethnic group is great. However, I do think there's also a nationality piece um, mm. that is also missing, right? Of, of there's a lot of things that go into where you are from based off of the nation you come from um, that is not always considered your race or your ethnicity. For me, for example, as a brown woman, I am not always, sometimes I'm considered Mexican because mm. I, you know, have more of a fair skin. Nobody usually guesses that I am mostly Nigerian. Mm. I do get the Apache um, or a Native American of some sort, but most of the time there too, I'm judged as as um, Eastern Asian, that I would be more considered Egyptian even at some points or, or um, from India. And so it's, it's, it's my nation, though, of where I'm from that mm. has changed some of the accessibility and the different things like that that come up. And so um, I would like to add discriminated to that. And mm. I would like to think about adding nationality in there in, in addition to race or ethnicity. I like both of those. Um, you Just a quick aside, I, I don't know that 
I I would have pegged your nationality or ethnicity, Dr. Gentile, in fact, um, and particularly your being uh, part Native. So I'm glad I added that. I added that without knowing that that was a part of your background. But it's interesting. Maybe we can add it to the Brother Be Well platform. It's interesting how perception kind of plays into how we're all treated, right? So I will never forget the meeting I was in, and it was with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I was working for a, a Spanish language radio and TV station. Gustavo, you're going to, I think, find this funny. So I'm one, I'm one of only maybe three or four non-Latino people at this meeting, frankly, a meeting of 50 or 60 people, and everyone else there who wasn't Latino was white. So I was the only Black person at this event. And we had to give a 30-second kind of um, elevator speech. So quickly, I decided the way I could differentiate myself, all the other, uh, all the white folks in the room, you know, spoke in English, and it was certainly the chamber was bilingual. But I gave mine in Spanish and I will never forget coming down off of the podium and and the woman sitting next to me, she said, wow, I didn't know you were Cuban. And I just kind of said, well, I'm no, I'm not. I'm black from Detroit that happened to study a little Spanish. But it's, it's interesting how the perception of me had changed just based on on how they thought I sounded anyway. So just a little aside there, I want to I want to get back to, to this question about um that that particular question, Gustavo or Cherie, do you have any any added thoughts about how that question might be changed to really, I love those two um, uh, suggestions, discriminated against instead of treated and a focus on nationality, Dr. Gentile. But before we move on, I want to give uh, Cherie and Gustavo a chance to chime in. Any, any thoughts about that, you two? Um, yeah, I'd like to second what Dr. G said. Um, I absolutely agree that um, that the word choice is key and communicating what you really want to capture, um, and especially um, as a researcher and when you're collecting data and being able to actually measure what you're looking to measure, you have to be specific um, and really looking at what you're looking at. So I definitely agree with that. Mm. Um, the nationality piece is also um, key as well. I mean, especially being Americans, like we're big on citizen, non-citizen. Like it's, it's a, it's a, an, a, an actual thing and you know where are you from and who are you and yeah. all those types of questions that people face that then that then inform um those unconscious biases or you know intentional overt isms to occur so i think that um that's another piece that's also key so i, I definitely uh, mirror what dr uh, g is saying and I do think we have to consider the picture in a way that we want to accurately measure it. Excellent. Excellent uh, addition there. Gustavo, you agree? I don't want to speak for you, but I, I know you well enough to know I think you agree. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I, going back to it, yeah, I was like, where's the word discriminate in this? So I'm glad that uh, Dr. G brought it up and definitely agree with it. Um, and also, just you know, on uh, what Krinner said, um, I definitely agree with that uh, to making sure that we're really putting the right uh, information. And I'm glad that um, she mentioned about, you know, like when we're collecting data, when we're collecting this, um, it's really important because if not, that's where really like our own like, you know, assumptions or bias be can begin too, right? Because it's already like, maybe the numbers are wrong because we're not putting the right um, ethnicities or, you know, backgrounds of individuals. And so now we're just kind of going the, the wrong way. And, and I appreciate them recognizing like, you know, uh, um, like putting in discriminate just because 
of my own past experience that I've, I've had as well. And I feel like other individuals share that as well. And yeah. so definitely agree. Let's 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 talk about just really briefly here, because we, we've been talking about or at least I've been thinking about it was when I crafted that question, instances of individual. And I'm going to use now discrimination. I, I was reminded of, a, of, of an event when I was a kid where my brother was picked out of a crowd. My older brother was picked out of a crowd of, of white kids in a department store and they were all doing the same thing. I won't get into detail, but he was the only one picked out of this crowd and he and I were taken to a back room and we were being, you know, interrogated, really. My, my mom had kind of we had kind of lost sight of her for a quick second. And in those, in those quick few seconds, the store staff had shepherded us in the back. And I was terrified watching. I was maybe five or six. So he's 10 or 11 years old. And he was being interrogated and accused of shoplifting when he hadn't he hadn't taken anything. And thank God my mother, you know, we weren't in there a good couple minutes and she tore in there and put an end to that right there. But it never I never uh, was lost on the fact that out of the 10 or 11 kids that were all kind of looking through this this, you know, little bin of, uh, you know, ID bracelets and rings and all that stuff, that my black brother was the one kid that was dragged in the back. So I, I love discriminated because I, I struggle with that wording as well. So we've been talking about individual events, but but I want to get at some of the, the broader issues here. I'm wondering whether exposure to institutional or systemic racism should also be addressed in this A screener, or if you think that one question might do it. I, again, if, 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 if you agree or not, let's just talk about it a little bit. If, if you agree, I'm wondering about why this is so important for those of us that are doing public health, public health or social change work. We've got to have culturally informed uh, measures like this and mechanisms and tools. So, so Sheree, why don't you get us started there? Do you agree that we should be looking at, yeah, you know, that question is, what has your child ever been judged unfairly, but the impact of the, 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 the global racism that we all deal with that, that those black moments you and I just talked about, Sheree, what do you think? Well, Michael, you and I, and all of us on the call are a sound mind and believe in, in research and also our lived experiences. Um, believe it or I mean, you know, I, I do this work, um, you know, every day at the institution that I work for and also the community. Um, people don't believe in, in institutional racism, instructional racism. Wow. There are folks that regard that regardless of the data, um, regardless of the reproducible outcomes in certain communities, just absolutely reject the notion. And I think that's part of it that um, in fact, it, it reminds me of when I when I chaired an equity, diversity, and inclusion committee. That the first thing I said is we have to have a common working knowledge and communal agreement that this is something that exists. If we are not on the same page, we are not working towards the same goal. I love it, and I think that's part. I think that's part of it. I think specifically those of us that provide healthcare um, have to have a working knowledge based on facts. And face those facts to be true. Um, we have to be able to accept that notion to even consider that being something that impacts um, the overall care that we need to give and assessing the impact of these things happening. So I definitely think it should be considered. But um, contextually, it's just I, I'm always floored. And it is some of the most educated people that um, other people that also provide healthcare for people that absolutely reject the notion 
of racism, discrimination, institutional structural racism at all. And it, it always blows my mind. That is that is blowing my mind because I like I, I tell myself, thank you for including me in the list of well-informed. I love that set of adjectives that you just used, Cherie. Michael is well-informed and well-researched and believes in science. Thank you very much. Because a lot of people are walking around, I think you're right, and, and they aren't in that camp. But it just blows my mind that you as a healthcare professional deal with that in your field. Cause I just I like to tell myself that you guys are in a in a in a sphere that I love to be in. I certainly talk to people all the time that that this that discount science and and research and history, but it blows my mind that you have to deal with that in a professional setting, Cherie. Any uh, additional comments on that? I don't want to leave anybody out of that conversation because I think it's a, it, you know, I think for all of us, you know, we talked about the the the, the historical trauma for the Native community, Dr. Gentile. Certainly, you know, Gustavo, I was in undergrad school when I learned about. You know, because I grew up black in Detroit, so I was kind of focused on my own experience. And then when I got to college, I started to learn about other groups and I learned about, my God, what the, what the Latino community has had to deal with in this country. So for someone to say they don't believe in historical or institutional racism just blows my mind. Dr. Gentile, what are your additional thoughts on this? Yeah, I I unfortunately have a similar experience um, where it's true. Not everybody actually believes in institutional racism or believes in historical trauma. Uh And I often go to a place of where... I have to think about uh, in vitro and I try to really just explain it at that really like small level of just, you know, if a mom is going through a lot of stress when she gives birth, that stress hormone is passed on to the baby and the baby is automatically born with their endocrine system and their immune system and all other sorts of things, which I'm sure, Sheree, you can, you can chime in on this, um, that that baby is already at a different, at a, at a lower functioning level than it would be if it were born to a mom who didn't have that stress. And some of that stress is because of racism and discrimination. And so when I just talk about it at that level, there's still a big pushback. And so it's unfortunate that as as well-researched and as well-educated and all of the amazing um, adjectives that we were just called, um, that there's still pockets um, large pockets of folks who don't agree with this and who really don't think that it's actually a real thing. So I feel like, and my hope is that if we start to pay more attention to this, if we start to continue to look at systems like the judicial system, the housing system, even financial institutions, mm-hmm. if we can start analyzing those from a truly human-centered perspective, we might be able to see that it is and was not set up fairly. And I hope that is my hope is that we can get to a place like that where it becomes a public health disparity uh, to go through some of these things. That's my hope as well. And I I have to say, and I I learned that in in researching and learning about ACES. And I I even had the pleasure of interviewing um, California's uh, Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris. Oh, it's been about a year, year and a half ago now I interviewed her. Um, and just learning about her research. And, and I have to say, Dr. Gentile, learning about, I got a chill even when you said it, that when a, when a, a, a pregnant woman is, is under uh, toxic stress, when toxic stress has built up in that pregnant woman's body, the, the unborn child is, is changed, that he or she's DNA is changed. And so they come into this world kind of 
behind the eight ball or, or you know, behind the curve, so to speak. They're a little behind where they should be when they're born. So then if you if you add to that, if they start out behind, it's hard to catch up. As we all know, anyone that's been in a race at all of any type, once you fall behind, it's hard to catch up. And then they spend 17, 18 years probably falling further behind, depending on what environments they're in, like you were alluding to talking about earlier, Sheree. It's just stunning to me. I just got to chill when you were talking about it. Certainly got to chill. As, as we get ready to wrap up, let, let's do this, because I, I want to get to that world, too, where we're just talking about it. And every, you know, you guys, Dr. Gentile, uh, Gustavo, um, Cherie, you're not dealing with colleagues who dispute this. Um, um, Gustavo, you got you got something I think you want to add to this before I get into that final question. Why don't you go for it? Um, what was just brought up in and, and I, you know, bringing back from a personal experience, but also. I bring my experience because it's what I'm seeing with my students as well uh, about um, this oppression, this, you know, these, um, this racism, this this institutional uh, dynamics that occurs, right? Um, Let's just say, for example, I went to go look at a look at a car as an older individual, right? And I have this parent that uh, she's, white Caucasian and I call her my second mom. I came in by myself that one time and they were like, no, I was treated differently and I could feel it, right? But when my second mother me, it was like, oh, all of a sudden I got all, here's the cookies, here's, here's this and that, you know, here's the, everything like that. And so that brought me back to kind of like a counter transfers of like when I was younger of like how my parents didn't get those same, you know, here's this, here's that, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we prove um, that's not the same, they don't receive the same resources, they don't receive the same attention as per se other individuals. And I think that that's, that's it's like a cycle, right? That continues. And so it's like that causes stress, that causes, um, you know, puts it puts stress and like you know heavy weight on top of you and so when you grow up and stuff like that now you're kind of like i'm kind of feeling like the minority i'm kind of feeling like doubtful should i speak up or doubtful like i don't know if my words will be validated or you know i don't know if i have this space uh to really talk about what i feel right and so that's why i feel so privileged to be here and be able to speak about this right mm-hmm. um because I'm able to talk about these things that are actually going on. That is just like a cycle that, um, that my goal is to what, uh, Dr. G was talking about, you know, humanize it more. Uh, we're all humans. Um, and so, yeah. I, I certainly, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Gustavo and, and I too am, am appreciative of this particular forum, Brother Be Well at brotherbewell.com where we can talk about these things. I gotta say though, as we get ready to wrap up, I've, I've got one more question, but, uh, Gustavo, you just referred to yourself as an older person. So I think I'm going to go take a nap because if you're an older person, then, then I, my time is numbered here on this earth. So let me just say that really quickly. Let's get to this uh, final question, guys, um, for each of you. Um, what would you recommend as next steps? I think we're all on the same page and we want to get to a place where we're talking about this, where we're we're mitigating some of the 
some of racism's role in confounding mental health professionals, really. You, Gustavo, you do it every day. You, you're doing the work, Dr. G. Uh, Sheree, you're on the front lines uh, dealing with the, the manifestations of ACEs, really, in, the, in our bodies. So for each of you, what would you say are next steps? What role can each of us play, first in reducing, again, or eliminating the effects of ACEs on our children and our youth, and then on mitigating racism's role in, in, in keeping you from doing the work that you do. Gustavo, I think I'll start with you and then I'll go to you, Cherie and uh, Dr. G, you're our, our newest guest here on this panel. So I'll, I'll let you have the final word on this question. So Gustavo, get us started. Yeah, um, I think that definitely continue to advocate for other individuals, inform, educate. I think that's uh, those are definitely key. Um, and talking to hopefully, you know, talking to these systems that are oppressing our individuals and really shooting towards going to humanizing things more. You know, I think that Dr. G really put in a perspective in the way that um, really is really helpful to understand. Right. And in order to really help out, I think that we got to start from where can we start from? Well, right now. Right. And that is talking about it getting more knowledge about it, uh, educating ourselves about it. And hopefully that can make some change um, to those systems that, to those systems and to ourselves, right? Because now we take a different approach towards it, but also to those systems that are continuing to, um, when we're trying to take a step forward, they're taking us 10 steps back, right? So uh, just trying to let them know uh, from our professional perspective, that it's not okay that these things do matter and that these things are happening to our youth. And I think that education is so important and that's where we can definitely start and starting in our communities, um, building this conversation with these, uh, with parents, guardians, teachers um, in schools um, and, and districts as well so that we can continue to have these conversations and change these dynamics and this um, cycle that continues to affect um, our youth as they grow older and our generations right now, right? Really, really, really profound. Thank you, Gustavo. Appreciate it. Cherie, what are your thoughts about that? Individuals, what, what role can each of us play in turning this, this train around? Um, our way forward definitely is through advocacy and through allyship. Um, when people say that they are hurting, when the data shows that there is an impact for what's going on, we have to believe them, even when we don't understand or may not have those same experiences. So mm. it's not just going to take black and brown folks to make these changes. It's going to take everyone and really building those allies and, and understanding what the overall impact is and educating those that um, refuse to address um, the elephant in the room, so to speak, or the facts and really advocating for um, those folks as well, because it's going to take everyone. It's not just something that can be done one-sided. And I would say um, my call to action for healthcare providers specifically is to um, anticipate and recognize ACEs in children and in families and provide resources for them that make sense. Um, it makes me actually think of the, um, there's a, a story about a doctor that was treating a, a, a young kid with chronic asthma that was coming in many, many, many times to the ED, many times to the office. Um, and when they realized that there was an, envi an environmental factor because of the bug infestation and they were able to provide some resources for the parents to get an exterminator, then that decreased this kid's exacerbation of their asthma 
by like 80%. This kid was thriving, living healthy, all by helping with that environmental piece. And which was less time to help them get that than all of the treatment, all of the money, all of the hospitalization. So um, that has always inspired me to think that we really have to um, get to the bottom of things with patients. It's not just about the prescription or these elaborate care plans that we come up with, but really helping folks with some of these basic things that we realize now impact us so greatly. We need to feel safe. We need to feel secure. Um, and so I think that we definitely have to um, approach this from a healthcare standpoint of really um, identifying and mitigating these risks whenever we can to give people wow. a fair chance. That is such an incredibly inspiring story, Cherie, that just one, just that one change improved the, the young man's health 80%, you said. That, that's just incredible. Just really incredible. Thanks for sharing. Dr. Gentile, uh, why don't you bring us home on this? What, what are, what's the individual's role? Anybody listening to this right now, or maybe for folks in your field, what, what, what's that? I love your phrase, Cherie. I'm going to borrow it. What's the call to action for anybody listening right now? in terms of, of turning ACEs around, turning, turning, you know, racism and the impact of that around what, what's the role that anybody listening can, can play right now? Yeah. My, my call to action is be a supportive adult. Uh, when kids or adults have strong supportive relationships in their lives, they're far more resilient. And, and we know that resilient humans even those who've experienced high levels of adversity, they do better in school and work and they have better health outcomes than those who are not resilient. So if you can be a supportive adult, even if it's to another adult, please do so. Well, easy to do, I think. And and uh, I, I wouldn't have thought about it in the way that you framed it, Dr. Gentile. So I appreciate it. I appreciate all of you for taking time at the end of a busy day to have this conversation here at Brother Be Well, Dr. Gentile. Um, and let me make sure I get this correct. Dr. Gentile is a senior product designer and researcher at the Center for Youth Wellness, a program of safe and sound. Dr. Gentile, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Uh, my buddy, Sheree uh, Kreiner, registered nurse and vice president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. I'm not understating things, overstating things rather to say None of the work that I've done in the last year with Brother Be Well, very little of it would have been possible without uh, the input of Sheree Kreiner and her colleagues with, with uh, the Capital City Black Nurses. So, Sheree, always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. And I can actually, as I even said that, I'm going to use the same words. Gustavo Garcia Rojas is a, cl- is a clinical advisor with HearYou.org. Gustavo, you and your colleagues, it's just it's a joy for me. And I wind up having these conversations. We're, we're recording this late in the evening and, and my mind is just going. So right after we have one of these podcasts, I'm, I'm crafting two or three others. And it's because of the input of you, in part, the input of you and your colleagues with hearyou.org. So thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all. And I want to thank you for listening into this podcast uh, here at Brother Be Well. If you've heard something that's intriguing to you or you're just curious and want to hear a little bit more, Go to our website, brotherbewell.com. You can listen to podcasts just like this one. We've got videos online as well on a variety of topics, some really, really compelling uh, print pieces and, and short life hacks and all kinds of stuff that you can take advantage of there at brotherbewell.com. So take advantage of that. Until next time, my name's the same as it's going to be next time. Michael P. Coleman, I'm content director with Brother Be Well. And I want to invite you to do two favors for me, if you would. Take great care of yourself between now and next time. And then once you get that down pat, 
as Dr. G alluded to a little bit, take good care of somebody else. Till next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brother Be Well podcast. There are lots of people that look like us stepping up to take the journey to wellness. Stay connected by joining peer support groups and happenings in the Brother Be Well community this month. Watch for text alerts and hook up with us for the next episode of Brother Be Well. I'm Leon Guidry, and we're out.